I'm beginning tonight reading one of the most familiar passages in the New Testament. And I believe with regard to this passage, with every fresh read of 1 Corinthians 13, each of us should concentrate on how this truth is displayed in our lives. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part... And we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Well, there is so much to study that we could pursue this for hours and hours and not be finished. This beautiful, perfectly arranged passage where God is telling us the kind of love we should have that should be in our minds and exhibited in all of our conduct in relationship with God and with everybody. It is essential, not optional. It is simply defined, not academically complicated. Paul says love is the greatest. Every single person needs to hear this and study this and return to this passage all through life to clarify our concepts of true biblical love. And then from that page in God's Word, internalize this teaching that it may purify all our conduct and keep us on the right course. I need this. You need this. 
Everyone we know needs to understand this and take this to heart and to life every day. Now, there is one part of this we're going to concentrate on during our time tonight. The final part of this I'm going to focus on. And now faith, hope, love, abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Here's where I want to start. I want to start with that word abide in the New King James, in the English Standard Version. Now abide faith, hope, and love. If you have the New International Version, these three remain. So when you look at that word abide and remain, it has to do with permanence. Now here's the context of what was happening in the church at Corinth. In the time when the gospel was being preached by the apostles, before there was a fully circulated written record, God used various miraculous gifts to spread the gospel and for the saints to use in their edification. And these gifts were never to glorify the person. These gifts were always to edify the saints and for the spread of the gospel. Never were these to be used to glorify a person, to exalt one who had one gift over another. And that's what Paul is grappling with, with the Corinthian church. These gifts were not to be instruments of competition. They were not to be stage performances for entertainment purposes. Gifts, like speaking in tongues, were temporary measures to equip disciples in the early years of the revelation of the gospel. In the church at Corinth, these gifts were misunderstood and they were not used appropriately. So Paul is addressing that in three chapters in the Corinthian letter, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And his message is, particularly here in chapter 13, these gifts are not permanent features of discipleship from now to the end. These gifts are temporary. Paul is stressing that. There were those immature people in Corinth who were placing so much stock in these miraculous gifts. They were missing the fundamental, permanent, aspects of being disciples. So, this question, what is permanent? If these gifts are only temporary, what will survive the apostolic age? What will, will be permanent? Faith, hope, and love. Direct knowledge imparted to inspired men prophecies and tongues, Paul says, would cease. So in contrast to the temporary, there is that which would abide or remain. It has to do with permanence, faith, hope, and love. And so today, 
as a Christian, there's no spiritual value in seeking to speak in tongues or attempting to duplicate some miraculous gift that no longer exists. I should not presume or claim that I'm a prophet or I'm an apostle, nor should I think I have direct knowledge like the inspired men who wrote the New Testament. What I must be concerned about is the permanent faith, hope, and love. What the apostles left for us and really for the world is the truth of the gospel. And as we become engaged in response to the gospel, initially in baptism and thereafter in daily discipleship, what is permanent and will be necessary from now on, faith, hope, and love. So go into this with that concept of permanence. And now we're going to talk about each of the three that abide, that remain. Faith. Faith is not belief without proof. It is trust without reservation or hesitation. Faith is not something you just suddenly have without thought, intention, or effort. Faith is not, as many have said, a leap into the dark, absent evidence or basis. It is a trust you have found by a process of applying your mind to evidence given by God. Faith is a trust you have found by applying the mind God gave you to all the evidence that God has given of his existence and the truth of his word. So it is a rational, reasonable thing. It is intelligent and it really makes good sense. When evidence has been supplied, you take in that evidence. When you look around in the natural world and you decide there is a creator. Then as you read the message the creator gave the Bible and you learn of Jesus Christ and you believe that based on all the evidence and you act upon it, that's what faith is. Faith is not belief without proof. It is trust without reservation that has its foundation in the evidence God has supplied. And as you become honestly engaged in responding to the evidence God supplies, you are capable of being spiritually healthy in your relationship with God. And you see that the message comes together and connects and makes sense. It is credible. There is evidence. It really happened. And as you become involved and responsive to that evidence in that process, I say again, you're using the mind God gave you to process and receive all the evidence God has given to his glory and for your eternal good. God has provided abundant evidence of his existence, his glory, his authority, and has given us instruction about our response to him. When you open your mind to all of that, you're becoming a believer. 
And you can say my faith came from my reception of what God gave, the evidence in nature and the instruction in his word. So faith is not something that just happened to you all of a sudden in some sort of a random way. It is not something imposed on you against your will. You opened your mind. You searched for truth from the Creator. You found it. And in that process of will and initiative, God is reaching you. He is putting you in contact with evidence and instruction and motivation. And you're becoming a believer. So the Bible says that with your heart you believe. Romans 10 verse 10. And that belief enables you to be righteous when that belief is activated. That works because of Jesus Christ in whom we trust. Now your heart in this passage in Romans 10.10 is not the physical organ that pumps blood. The heart of the Bible in this particular sense is that inner part of you that thinks and wills and desires, repents, responds to the Creator. Paul is telling us in Romans 10.10, with the heart we believe to righteousness. As I become a believer in God and I read His Word and I follow the example of Christ, there is an un reserved, unhesitated trust that takes me away from sin toward God and righteous living and heaven. So faith is not belief without proof. It is trust without reservation. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10, 17. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, Hebrews 11, verse 6. Let me ask us this, therefore, is our faith increasing? Is it becoming more and more active or is it becoming stale and stagnant and inactive? Is our faith increasing? The answer to that depends upon our consistent contact with God's word. That's how faith is born and generated and increased and maintained through our contact with God's Word. Hearing and trusting and learning and doing, growing in knowledge and using what you learn day by day. That brings to pass an expansion of your faith. So faith is first in this text and then there's hope. And here's the connection. One is the product of the other. Hope is a product of faith. Hope is based on faith. Hope inspires your confidence in your relationship with God now and your future reward. Giving reality to the promises of the gospel. So, I am certain of God's existence... I'm certain about the historical facts of the birth, life, and death of Jesus Christ. 
I believe he was raised from the dead. I believe in the sufficiency and authority of Scripture. Therefore, as I activate what I believe, one product is hope. As I read the promises of God, I embrace those and consider them real, though the promises have not yet been fulfilled. Because of my faith, I know the promise of heaven will be there for God's people. I had a friend who often said about hope, Hope is that which reaches off into the future and attaches itself to what we desire and expect to receive because we've read the word and we're responding to the word. For example, because of our faith, we desire and expect to receive a home with God in heaven. And we know about that and believe that because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Hope is that emotion we have and that motive connected to that emotion, knowing that the promise of heaven is given by one who is faithful in everything he says, and that Christ died for us to have that hope. Hope gives us joy, stability, endurance, and patience. Hope is a product of faith. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for. There's your connection. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith stands under in a powerful way, what we believe God has said about his people in eternity, heaven in particular. It is real to obedient believers. With faith, we're trusting God, believing his word. Therefore, as a product, we have faith. And then in all our relationships, what becomes possible and authentic and effective and real is love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I'm going to tell you a story that many of you have heard before, but I'll probably continue to repeat it anyway. It was in the 1970s, I think, and I do not remember who exactly taught me this, but I have since considered this to be a highly effective Bible study tool, particularly in regard to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. So I'm going to share this with you. Try this at home. Read this passage and for maximum personal impact, instead of the word love, read your name. And see how that sounds. Now, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be awkward. It may be very hard to do. 
but it can be exceedingly beneficial. It can take you to very healthy self-examination. Read verses 4 through 7 and put your name where the word love is. So, I shall now embarrass myself. Warren is patient and kind. Warren does not envy or boast. Warren is not arrogant or rude. Warren does not insist on its own way. Warren is not irritable or resentful. And Paula is rolling her eyes at this point. See, it's hard to do. It's going to sound funny and odd and awkward. Warren suffers long and is kind. It, it, some of it may not sound credible. Now, what does that become? That's a signal. That's a signal. If it doesn't sound credible when I put my name in there, that's a signal for me to examine what's in my heart and my life based on my faith and hope that's a product of it. If we will use the Word of God to guide us and nurture within us this love, if we will form habits and craft behaviors from day to day that are visible and pleasing benefits of what is written here, it's going to be amazing. In your relationship with your parents, in dealing with your children, in your marriage, in relationship with other Christians, even in your handling of and your thoughts about those who are irritable and may in fact be enemies. This biblical love can take us to great heights and must be active in our lives on an ongoing basis. You're not going to read four to seven with your name in there one time and experience a sudden revolution. But if you go back and do that in 1 Corinthians 13, it's going to help you. And this, this goes across every level of experience and age. Teenagers need to learn this and see this in their parents. Parents need to model this kind of love. Old people, young people, middle-aged people, new Christians, experienced Christians. This is how love behaves. Once you have faith and hope firmly in hand, then here's what you need. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. A very common question comes up. Why does Paul say love is the greatest? I'm not going to say that when we get to heaven, faith and hope will suddenly come to an end. Paul doesn't say that, so I'm not going to say that. I will offer that faith and hope will be very different in the context of heaven, but not love. 
Love ought to be the same when we get there because we've nurtured it here. Faith to a large extent will give way to spiritual sight and direct experience with deity in heaven. Hope will be realized or fulfilled though we still will be convinced of the future good throughout continued eternity. Faith and hope will find a different higher level of existence. But the love that we are able to develop now should just continue into our heavenly existence, perfected by our presence with the Lord. So let me add this. Don't ever entertain the idea that you can neglect love now and quickly nurture it as you enter into heaven. Is there any virtue in the New Testament you can postpone the development of? Of course not. We cannot neglect now attitudes that we expect to find in full bloom in our heavenly existence. So, whatever spin anyone tries to put on 1 Corinthians 13, it should be vivid. If we want love to be great then, it must be great for us now. So great that I could read verses 4 through 7 with my name inserted where the word love is and not be totally blown into embarrassment. I want to ask you to take some time in your private devotion this week to do that very thing. To engage in this exercise, examine yourself, let us pray about our deficiencies and let's be certain that our commitment is to and our involvement is in faith, hope, and love. Let's be standing while we sing.